Hope you enjoyed that story by Catherine. Thank you, Catherine, for being willing to uh, film those for the children. We appreciate that, and we appreciate you letting us use those. I'd like for you to have your Bibles tonight, and uh, um, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 22 to start with. And before I start talking about that, I'm going to make a few comments, but you can go there and kind of get ready for the first reading. I'm going to read a number of verses to start with in that in that passage, and then we'll also look at Matthew as well. But today, as we think about the death and the suffering of Jesus Christ, without this day that we commemorate, without what happened on this day long ago, the Christian faith would be nothing. Now, we, we can also say, well, without the resurrection, even today, what happened really wouldn't matter. And that's true. If he would have died, been buried, and not rose from the dead, then we wouldn't. This would avail nothing as well. So it's a it's a whole a picture of the, the death and the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of which we are so thankful for. That the great God of heaven, the Creator God, came down to earth and lived among us and suffered and died, that He could reconcile us back to Himself, and that we can actually be justified and reconcile to Him and be seen as right in His eyes. And we have so much to be thankful for. And I hope you thought about that a lot today as we commemorate this on what we call Good Friday. Now before we get to the reading tonight, there are some things that took place in the story that I'm sure most of you will remember. You'll see that Jesus was betrayed or forsaken. And I want to talk about several different aspects tonight in this whole story First of all, we're going to talk about is the, the betrayals, um, go over some of those, not necessarily in detail, but to make some comments on them. We're going to talk about his trials and his the testings there and, and the trials that he went before the people, and then his suffering and the darkness that came upon the whole earth. Before we get to this reading, I want to think about the fact that he was betrayed or forsaken by a number of people or groups of people. And you might say, well, I feel forsaken in my life or I feel betrayed. One of the things that I want you to get from the message tonight is that anything that we go through, the Bible says that Jesus experienced those things, that he came here. And that's one of the reasons he came in the flesh, took upon himself the form of a man and human flesh was so that he could actually experience those things that we experience the sufferings that we go through so that we can go to him, that we can go to him uh, boldly, it says, to the throne of grace because he understands. And it says that he, he even cares about how we feel about our weaknesses and infirmities. And he was here and he understood that. So anyone who ever thinks they have been forsaken or betrayed, and maybe you have been, but think about what Jesus must have experienced that night. He was forsaken by his sleeping disciples when he went to pray and he asked them to go with him. They would fall asleep. He was, of course, betrayed and, uh, by Judas and Peter himself, a very close friend and apostle, disciple of Jesus Christ, actually denied him, denied that he knew him. All his disciples, it says, forsook him. They fled and forsook him. The religious leaders, they all betrayed him, and, and went against him. Those who cried crucify him, some of who may have been people that, that earlier had, had wanted him to be their king and, their, and the savior of Israel, crying crucify him. Pilate betrayed him. 
Herod betrayed him. But one thing to think about tonight that I want us to remember is we can look at all of those people and we can say, look what they did and look, look what happened there. And yet it was still our sins that put him on the cross. It was my sins. It was your sins that put him there and in a sense betrayed him to be crucified for our sins. So going to Luke chapter 22, I'm going to start reading at verse uh, 63 and go all the way through chapter 23, verse 49. So I know that's a long reading. Uh, Try to read along with me there, and that'll help you um, get more out of it if you're reading along and paying attention in that way as I read through it. Luke chapter uh, 22, starting at verse 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when, he had, and when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. And they said, and they said all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard his own mouth. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying, He himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he had belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him for a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, and he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, and I found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release unto them at the, one of them at the feast. And they cried out with all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake to them again. 
But they cried, but they cried saying, Crucify him, crucifying. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him for sedition, that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom when they had desired, but, but, they, but he, <clears throat> excuse me, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they set up, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. They followed him a great company, and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning said unto them, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps that never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they say, if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in a dry? And there were also two others, malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and a Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which was hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Doest thou not fear God, seeing thou art of the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together in that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things." Turn with me now to Matthew. I want to read a few verses in Matthew to bring in a couple of details that are not there in Luke. Matthew chapter 27. I want to read verses 26 to 31. Then released he... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter there, I believe. No, I'm not. Matthew 27, verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. 
When they had stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and he reed in his right hand, they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him, and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put on his own raiment and led him away to crucify him. Let's go to verse 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't know what you think about when you hear these verses, when you read this passage, but I picture a a Jesus who was so meek and so mild in this setting and, and so maybe even calm, and yet all these people just just being so mean and so miserable to him and treating him so terribly. And why? If you think about why. And I think some of them, it was for the fact they were afraid of losing power. Some probably sincerely thought he was blaspheming God. Some didn't want to lose their position in their religious order. And some expected him to do things that he didn't do, actually deliver them from the Romans. I don't know what all the reasons were. But behind that scene and in the hearts of those people was, was evil. And Satan was working hard to destroy the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We think about Jesus here being on trial before different people. Jesus was on trial. He went on trial before the Jewish council, before the religious people there at that time. And then he went on trial before Pilate. What's really interesting is that Pilate was willing to let him go. But the religious people wanted him crucified. And he went before Herod. And Herod was hoping for some miracle. And I suspect that if Jesus at that time would have actually performed some miracle for Herod, when he went before Herod, if, if Herod would have said, show me some miracle, and Jesus would have, would have turned water into wine, or if he would have healed someone or caused someone that didn't have leprosy to have it or done something like this, Herod would have probably said, absolutely, we're not crucifying this person. This this man did a miracle for me. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that for Herod. He didn't say anything. He just was there. And so because of that, his, his Roman guards and soldiers treated him terribly bad. And I, it says they put that crown of thorns on his head and that robe, and it said, they said they took a reed and they hit him on the head, and I suspect it was not on the side of it, it was on the top, and they... they drove that crown of thorns into his head. And the blood and the, and the pain that that must have inflicted was probably was terrible. So he was on trial before the Jewish council, before Pilate, before Herod. In a sense, he was on trial before those people that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But these were not really his first trials. There is a sense in which he was being tested and tried his whole life. In Hebrews chapter 2, Kevin had a message from Hebrews chapter 2 recently. There was a verse that jumped out to me in this passage, thinking about Jesus' suffering. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, 
Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make a reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. So in this verse, one of the things that, that he suffered, and we're going to talk about his sufferings in a little bit, and I'll, I'll probably reference back to this, but one of the trials or the, te- the tests, the sufferings that Jesus went through was actually being here in the flesh and being tempted like we are. That was a trial for him. That was a test. And it says that he suffered in that sense. We think of him suffering, and we'll look at some of the ways he suffered, but that was one of them. Well, what about our trials and our test uh, in First Peter? And I suggest you turn back in your Bibles to First Peter, and we'll look at some verses there in chapter 4 as we think about the tests and the trials that we go through and that we are to suffer with him and to take the trials that come along in life. And so in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, looking at verses 12 to 16, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be made, that ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On the part, on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet, and if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his on this behalf, I want to go back there and look at at uh, verses uh, the first couple of verses here. First of all, we aren't to think it strange if there are trial, uh, fiery trials that come upon us. That's not something that should we should look at as being strange. Um, we are to be partakers. It says in verse thirteen, partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now, let me make one thing abundantly clear. You can suffer all you want in this life, and you can suffer in ways you don't want to suffer. That's not going to save you. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves outside of placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And even placing our faith in Him, it's because of what He did. It's what Jesus Christ did that makes it possible for us to be saved. It's not our, it's not our works. It's not our contributions that we make. It's not anything like that. It's, it's what Jesus did on the cross. It's what Jesus did on Good Friday so many years ago. But it says here that we can actually be partakers of his sufferings. And if, if we are, we're actually supposed to be glad about that. We're supposed to, with exceeding joy, it says in verse 13. Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Why? Because when the glory of God is revealed and when Jesus Christ is revealed in his glory, we can be with him. And so we can look at these trials that we go through in this life and we can actually joy in those things because we know that someday the glory of God will be revealed in Jesus Christ and we will be uh, glorified in that with, with Jesus as joint heirs with him. Back in Matthew chapter 26, 
I want to look at some verses there as we think about the trials that took place that night and that morning. Starting at verse 36 of Matthew chapter 26, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto the place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then, he, then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, saith unto them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us rise and be going. Behold, he is at hand that doeth betray me. I don't know if you've ever felt kind of forsaken by your close friends. Jesus did here. They couldn't even stay awake with him. They couldn't pray with him. And I think he was looking out even for them that they would pray for themselves, recognizing that they were weak. But as we think about the trials that Jesus went through, I believe the most important trial that Jesus went through that night and that morning was actually right here in the garden with his father. When he went to his father and he said, if there's any way, if there's just some way that this cup could pass from you, is, is there some other way that we could redeem mankind? But if not, if not, thy will be done. And in that setting and in that trial that he went through before his father, he submitted his will to the father. And I believe the fact that he was willing to be obedient to the father in this setting was what made him able to go before earthly men in the trials that were coming later that night and that morning. And I want to... I want that to be a challenge to each of us that if we're going to go before men and we're going to have tests and temptations and trials throughout life, which we will, we have to first submit to the Father or we won't make it in those other trials. I believe if Jesus had not been here and, and submitted to the Father here, what, what would those trials have been like? I'm not saying he would have failed in those trials, but I think he knew full well he needed this first to submit to his father so that when he went before men, he, would, he wouldn't succumb to their, the temptations that he might have faced there to forsake his father and say, I'm not going through with this. I'm not going through with it. He learned, the Bible says that he learned obedience through this suffering and death that he went through and submitting to his father and all of that. And I want to say that for us, we need to learn that same thing. We don't fear men. We need to fear God. We need to listen to Him. Because if we don't, 
we'll probably make some bad choices when we're actually faced with the temptations. And I think of one of the worst choices that night that those people made was when they chose Barabbas over Jesus. I want to read this. I believe maybe about a year ago, in preaching on the Good Friday, I may have read this little note. And this was noted by Origen, who was a third century historian and the church father there. But this little note here says, A number of early manuscripts of Matthew's gospel give Barabbas a forename. Possibly very early in the life of the original manuscript, a copyist transcribed the Greek words to you or released to you, Barabbas, as the abbreviation for the common name Jesus or Yahshua. Whom do you want me to release? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called Messiah? Is maybe how that originally was worded and written. Who do you want me to release? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Messiah? The question is, who have you chosen tonight? Who will you choose? I'd like to talk a little bit about his suffering now. And I mentioned the fact that he suffered just taking on human flesh and being here and being tempted. The Bible says that, he was, that, that's, that was a suffering for him. Can you imagine a holy, righteous, perfect God coming here and actually for the first time in, in all of eternity actually being in a body that, that was being tempted? It was a suffering for him. He suffered by the brutal scourging and the crucifixion. And, and we could have spent all evening describing those things and the horrific pain and suffering. I'll just mention the scourging that, of how it wasn't just a whipping. They would stretch the person out uh, either over a stone or uh, possibly tie their hands to, a, to a, a beam or something and kind of stretch them out so that your back, so that the, the nerves and the tendons and everything in the back was taut so that when, the, when they would take those uh, whips that had all sorts of broken glass and bone and steel in them and take it across their back, it would just cut and shred things. A lot of people didn't live through a scourging. A lot of people died right there. They would go into shock and die. They would use that often to try to get a confession out of someone or to have them give them uh, secrets about something or maybe uh, other people that were involved in a crime get information from them. And sometimes they would just die. Jesus went through that scourging. And then he went through the crucifixion of actually being nailed to a cross and, and put up there on that old rugged cross. And, and there, the blood pouring down and people mocking him and, and basically suffocating because you couldn't push yourself up and hold yourself after so long, get your breath. And there, there he died. Part of his suffering, I believe, was offering himself on the cross for our sins. I don't think we have any idea what that, was a, what, what that meant to him. First John says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He suffered by bearing our sins on the cross. I want to look at a few verses in, in Hebrews chapter 9. 
Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll read verses 24 through verses 28. It says, For Christ has not entered into the holy place and made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this to judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And are you looking for him tonight? There was also a sense of which he suffered by the feeling of being forsaken by his father when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is a reference, I believe, back to Psalm 22, which is such a prophetic psalm of Christ's suffering and death. I'd like to look now at the great darkness that came upon the earth. When Jesus Christ was there on the cross from about noon, he was there crucified about nine in the morning. And about noon, it says that there was a great darkness came over the earth. And, and that darkness, incidentally, was written about by historians after that. It, it, and not just the writers of the, the Gospels, it was written about and some explanations given. They weren't very good explanations, some of them, and they were refuted by church fathers, but the people knew that there was darkness over the whole earth that covered the, covered the area, and, and there it was. And why the darkness? Well, I believe there was a sense in which the whole earth was mourning over their Creator, there were earthquakes. There were rending of the rocks. There were people coming out of the tombs. It was, it was quite, a, quite a scene, but there was darkness. And there is still, really, a cloud of darkness over our understanding of what took place that day. Yes, we can read about it. We can study it. We can come up with theological treatises of what it means, and we can, we can have all these understandings as well as we can. There's still something that took place that day that I don't know that we'll ever understand in this life. But there was, a, there was just this terrible blackness that was over the earth. And yet, in the midst of that darkness, there on the cross, there was more light than could ever shine from the sun. There in the darkness of that hour, in those three hours where there was such darkness over the earth and what should have been the brightest hour of the day, there on the cross was a great light and they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. But there was more light hanging on that cross than the sun has ever given from the day it was created until the day God will take it away. Darkness still tries to obscure the cross. You know, there's a sense in which light and darkness are still together in this world. We are the children of light, and yet there's darkness all around us. And I'm thinking now of spiritual things. There's spiritual darkness all around, and there's spiritual light. And they are right together. 
And it was that same way in that darkness that, that there was this great darkness and there on the cross was this brilliant light but they weren't seeing it. And even today, the darkness of this world is still trying to obscure the light of Jesus Christ. My question is this, what are you doing to help that light be seen? The Bible says that Jesus is the light, but it also says that we are the light of the world. Is there great darkness around us, or are we being a light in that darkness? Isaiah says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadows of death, upon them hath the light shined. Are we helping that light to shine in the world? In John chapter 8, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Tonight, you can put your faith in the light of life, the one that gives great light to where we aren't, we aren't worried about the darkness around us. We are the light, and we want to, to chase the darkness out by bringing others to Jesus Christ. And so as you think about that great darkness that day, and, and yet the light that was in that darkness that people couldn't see, maybe you feel like this world is becoming very dark, and I believe it is. We live in a dark culture spiritually. The immorality and, the, and the, the, just what goes on in this anti-God movement and anti-Christianity. Yet, in the midst of that darkness, we are called to be His lights and to show the light of Jesus Christ to the world so that the light can, can break forth. So I ask you this evening, are you willing to suffer with Him? Are you willing to, to suffer the trials, temptations it might take to be that light? And are you willing to be a light for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the, the trials that you went through and the temptations and the, all the suffering that you went through for us. God, we could, never, we could never ever reach you without what you did for us. God, I pray that you would help us to be willing to just suffer whatever it might be in our lives, whatever kind of trials, temptations, whatever you put forth, Lord, that we would be willing to do that if it's brought uh, by you, that we would be willing to just walk through those things. Go with us, Lord. I know you will. And Lord, help us to be lights for you. Help us to just shine and to show others that even in this great darkness in which we live, that you are the light of the world. Help us, Lord, to be willing to share that with others. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for, again, for being here tonight with us and for listening and for your prayers. We appreciate that. I have a few testimonies that uh, I'll read to you at this time. And I have a, a text and uh, also an email. Brother Ken Sham says it. Uh, he says, we're doing good, trusting our shepherd to take us through this journey of life. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. That's from Brother Ken Sham. And I have an email here. This is from Sister Mary Yoder. <clears throat> it says, I am so thankful for all that our Lord was willing to do to bring us our amazing salvation. 
With the current unusual restrictions we live in, the Lord brought a new thought to me. We went from normal to abnormal in a short time. We know that the Lord left His home in glory to live here among people. He left a place where He was adored to come here where, he was reject, where many rejected and despised Him. He was willing to live out abnormal because of His love for each of us and to do His Father's will. As we read about His time here on earth, we see how He was content to be in the will of His Father, even when that meant living in the abnormal. As children of God, many of our lives display faith and trust in Him in whatever situation we find ourselves in, to be content to be in God's will, knowing He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Sister Mary Yoder. Thank you, Ken and Mary, for those. I don't think I have any others at this time. Appreciate that. We truly are living in abnormal times, and I found that interesting that even in this time here of living in abnormal times, we can live in just the light of Jesus Christ, knowing that He is our Savior and He will take us through whatever trials or temptations may come our way. have a few announcements here as well, and that is Sunday morning. We'll be starting again at 10 o'clock, and we'll be uh, hopefully having some music on again, uh, some singing uh, prior to the service again, maybe starting, uh, oh, say, about 10 minutes before the service and running a few minutes past 10 o'clock. And then we'll... Uh, also have another flannel graph, an Easter flannel graph from uh, Catherine for the children. So you might want to make sure your children are there at the beginning of the service for that. And then we'll have uh, some announcements and we'll have a devotional and a message um, on Sunday morning. So I encourage you to tune back in. It's going to really be different not being able to worship together on Easter morning. It seems really strange. But I will say this, that um, all of us can still worship the Lord. And we can uh, still praise God for the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even if we're not together, it will feel a little different. But I encourage you to look up and to praise the Lord for His resurrection, even if we can't be together Sunday morning. Also, uh, on another announcement, uh, tomorrow, the youth selling the barbecue chicken uh, hopefully we'll be able to have a mission trip this summer. They're raising some money for that. If you would like some chicken and if you have not uh, given your order to one of the youth, please do that um, this evening or in the morning. Get that order to one of the youth. We can, we can bring that to you if you would like, or you can go to one of the places where they'll be selling it. And that will be uh, tomorrow. And there should have been, a, I think there was an announcement in the bulletin regarding that. If you have some questions, you can also contact one of the youth or one of the youth sponsors. I believe that's everything I have. We'll have a couple more songs at this time. And Lord bless you, and I hope you have a good day tomorrow and a good day Sunday. Lord bless you.